0: It has been a fantastic weekend. For some of you, we were all here together yesterday, had a great time together. I uh, got to spend uh, uh, Friday evening with Jimmy and his family, and I love the church. God has done a wonderful thing in given us the church, amen, because we get to share life together. And no matter where you go, and I have had the opportunity to travel just a little bit, that it's neat. When you get with uh, God's people, you feel right at home no matter where you go. So I'm grateful for that. You know, I was, as I was hearing Jimmy talk about everything you guys have coming up, I was reminded that we weren't there when uh, Moses parted the Red Sea. Uh, we weren't there when he brought the Ten Commandments down off Mount Sinai. We weren't there when uh, Jesus walked on water. We weren't there when Jesus walked triumphantly out of the tomb seems to me we can't keep missing all these big events, so you need to be at Trunk or Treat coming up. So if you're not making plans, that's the next big thing, guys. So you're going to want to be a part of that. Hey, I don't know if you've had the chance to go to uh, Israel before. but we're going to take a look at something you may have experienced if you have been there in just a moment, but I want to jump right into the text that our brother just read for us. It says that Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Well, if you have been to Israel, what you know is that's the Sea of Galilee. And when you go there, you know you see these boats that, some of them are like replicas of first century uh boats and and so you get on one of them, and you start thinking to yourself, you know I am breathing the same air." that Jesus breathed. I'm seeing, as I look across the lake, I'm seeing the same things really that Jesus saw, and you're kind of getting lost in the moment, and then this guy comes whipping by you on one side. All right, and you're thinking, okay, all right, all right. In the Bible, they talk a lot about the other side of the lake. Jesus would go there, so I'll turn away from this guy. I want to get back to where I was. I want my experience here to be locked in time to be that experience of being in Israel, and then this guy comes whipping by on the other side. And then what you realize is this is maybe not that, but this is the kind of thing that Jesus experienced when he was at the Galilee. People were doing life. And Jesus was there with them as they were doing life. You know, for them, it wasn't recreation. For them, they were uh, going about their jobs. This was their marketplace. They were making money. And so that's where we find Jesus. He's in a crowd of people. People are crowding around Him. And I think it's interesting why. Because He was speaking the words of God. And we're reminded that people are drawn to the, word of, uh, to the words of God. People are looking for the big answers to the big questions of life. Here we get to live inside those big answers, and we get to share them with other people or encourage each other to do that. You know, the church I come from, we have these three values. We love Christ, we love Scripture, we love people. We talk about loving Christ, because you know these days you can say, I love God, but you can make God anything. You can make yourself God in today's world. But Christ is a historical figure, and so we say we love Christ. We love Scripture, and we love people. We love people enough to share the words of life, the words of God with them. You know, we're reminded, if we look back at the Old Testament and look at uh, King David, if, if he indeed is the guy who wrote this psalm, he tells us that the Word of God is refreshing that it makes us wise, that it gives joy to people's hearts because it does answer the big questions of life. It, it brings light to our eyes. helps us to understand. This is the best part. The Word of God, it endures forever. We may present it in different ways, present it in buildings with projectors and all that, but the Word of God never changed. The, 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 the truth of God was the same yesterday, today, and it will be forever. And every word that God ever spoke was altogether right and helps us to live rightly with God and with each other. Well, in our text, we see Jesus uh, at the water's edge. He saw two boats there. They were left by a couple of fishermen. They're washing their nets. And he's about to do something. He's going to get into one of those boats, the one belonging to Peter, and he's going to ask him to put out a little bit from the shore. Now this weekend, we've been talking about relational discipleship. It's the, it's the idea that God has already surrounded every one of us with a group of people that we can be good news and share good news uh, with and for. We have nieces and nephews. We have co-workers. We have classmates. These are the people that God has already put in our life. We don't have to look particularly hard. And Jesus is modeling that for us. Jesus already has a relationship uh, with Peter because if we look in chapter 4, we realize he's already healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. I, I kind of, That kind of got lost on me until I was kind of looking at the text. And I realized, you know, chapter 4 has got some neat stuff in it. It's the whole thing about the mission of Jesus. He came to restore sight to the blind and, and uh, freedom for the prisoners and all of that. But it's also that little story about him hearing, healing Peter's mother-in-law. So here's the deal. Jesus, a strategy of Jesus at being and sharing good news, to establish relationships with people intentionally. And at this point, it really pays off because now as this crowd is gathering around him, he says, hey, Peter, let me use your boat. Of course, I think now he still calls him Simon. Simon, let me use your boat. It'll give me a better place to speak from. And so he does that. But he's modeling for his intentional relational discipleship, which we have talked about. Now, we're not going to go through all this again right now other than to say, i got to do a lot of clicking to get past all that that we have all these casual relationships in our life, we can turn those into meaningful experiences with people by gathering information, look for an opportunity to pray for people, it becomes spiritual, and then create a disciple-making opportunity. We talked about that earlier. So. He sat down and he taught people from the boat. I want to share this next little picture just because it's neat. Uh, again, I know Jimmy and his wife have been to Israel. A lot of you uh, may have as well. But when you go there, it's just you see all these evidences that the story of Jesus is real and that these, these stories really did happen. There's a seat in a little town called Corazon uh, that is taken from, it's called the seat of Moses, it's taken from the synagogue. Here's the cool thing. Jesus sat in that chair. He literally sat in that chair, not a chair like it, but that chair. Um, And I think that's one of the neat things about the, so when, when he got up to speak and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah or something like that, like he did in chapter four, he sits and everybody else stands while he reads the word of God. It's kind of interesting the way they do that. But I just think that's one of the neat things about going to Israel. All right, so what he, uh, what he says to them, he goes, guys, I want y'all to put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And this is a little weird because they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. This is a reminder that God's people are always being sent to do something. Uh, they're being, in this case, sent out into deep water. And I don't want to do too much with the text here other than to say that sometimes God asks us to do hard things. That's, that's what I think of when I think of deep water. Maybe fishing near the shore, maybe that's just easier. But he says, go out and do something different. Go out and uh, I'm sending you to do something. So go out into the deep water. It's reminding me of the way the story ends at the end of all the Gospels where we're being sent to do something. This from Matthew, go and make disciples. We're being sent to go and do a thing. You know, the Old Testament was a come and see kind of experience. It was, It was. hey, come to Jerusalem and meet with God. So you see like the Ethiopian eunuch later uh, in Acts, you'll see him coming to church, and that's where he meets with God. But the people of God are always being sent out from the church, to be the church in the community, to make disciples as we go, and I I want us to hear that challenge in the text this morning. I want this gathering to be what we've had as Leon led singing for us this morning. I want it to be a celebration of who God is and what he's done. I want us to be able to celebrate what God, we've seen God do all week. That only happens when you own the mission of Jesus for yourself. When you realize I gotta equip me to go and tell somebody else about Jesus, I have the words of life. I've got good news. I can share that with someone, and Jesus sent me to go and do that. I want us to hear that call. In the Old Testament, it was come and see, and in our language, hey, just come to church. And but in the New Testament, Jesus says, "Now I, I like when you gather together, but I want you to go and tell. I want you to be good news all week long." So. He's told them to go put out into the, the deep water and they say to him, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we're going to let down the nets. All right, I think there's a few things we can pull out of uh, verse 5 here. One, kingdom work is really hard. They had They've been working all night long and they hadn't caught anything you've been a part of the church for a long time you know we've had lots of trunk or treats and lots of different activities and sometimes it just feels like man we're doing a whole lot but you know I'm I'm still waiting on the payoff you know for I know I've met a few of you guys who run and do things like that it's kind of like running on a treadmill you put in a lot of work but it doesn't really seem like you get anywhere but it's just a reminder kingdom work is hard It takes persistence and faithfulness to the commands and to the call of of God. And in God's time, He will bless those efforts. Um, You know, I, I learned this lesson in my first ministry job. I was whining about something, just something wasn't going the way I wanted it to. And so I was whining in front of our preacher's wife. And she said, well, John, did you think church work was for sissies? And I'm like, oh, wow. I guess I just sounded like, you know, I was too much whining on my part. But kingdom work is hard, but anything worth doing is hard, isn't it? Doesn't it take something from yeah. You know, it takes an investment from you. It takes, you know, more than, I just want to encourage everybody, let's do more than show up. Let's be in it. Let's be part of the mission. Let's all join in this kingdom work together because it is hard and we need each other. I want to suggest this, go out into deep water, suggest maybe we've been fishing in the wrong place. You know, I know churches, we all like, it's, all, it's always nice when someone shows up that's really got it all together. And maybe they come with a good job already and they can help contribute and do great things for the church. We're all fishing for those kind of folks, right? But who did Jesus fish for? I mean, Jesus got accused of all kinds of things for the people that he was hanging out with. I want to suggest to you, the people who are open to hear the gospel are the people that are struggling. You know, People who think they got it all together, I'm not even sure a lot of times they know they need God. But people who are struggling, people who are maybe going through a family crisis, these are all moments where God can use you as you bring good news into their life. They're the people open to what you're offering them, which is what you get to experience every day as being part of the kingdom of God. So I want to suggest to you that maybe there are parts of Melbourne that the kingdom of God just needs to come to. Uh, maybe there's uh, certain areas of the place where you work or the school that you go to where, you know what? This only changes when the kingdom of God reigns in this place. And so be that light, be that salt in that place. And we can talk about this afternoon in different ways that you can do that. You know, I love the idea that trust is always the right answer You know, there's a lot of scriptures that I don't know that I understand completely. I just trust that there's a truth in them or that they're right. Um, And I think there's some commands of God that I wish maybe didn't exist. But I honor them because Jesus said them or God said them. And I think that's part of what it means to to become a follower of Jesus is you do have to learn to trust Him because I think trust is always the right answer. I hope that the faithfulness of God has been so evident in your life that trust comes easy for you. I want to suggest there will come moments in your life where maybe trust comes hard. I guess I just want to share this that um, I mentioned it in Bible class. I had a grandson that was born with special needs. It was the result of a car wreck. It didn't make any sense. My daughter was just driving home from church one day. Um, she it was Actually, she had stopped by to, to grab some food because there was a ball game on TV that, the, that some folks were going to watch together. And she um, was pregnant at the time, and she just passed out while she was driving down the road. And she ran into a tree. Guys, that doesn't make any sense in any world. And so this child, my grandson, her son, he's born, and he's in a lot of ways, you know, really non-responsive. We we try to come up with, hey, he's really he's smiling or whatever. He might be. I don't know if he is or not. I like to think that he is. But he's two years old now. God's blessing our family through him. But I am telling you, without trusting God, moments like that don't make a lick of sense. Um, but I do see what God's doing through Zeke's life. Um, He's bringing our family closer together. He's getting us focused on things that matter. Um, You know, uh, one of these days, I know in heaven, there's going to be this good-looking kid going to come walking in. And he's going to say to our family, thank you for sticking my feet in puddles. I couldn't let you know how much that meant to me, but it meant the world. Thanks for singing Wheels on the Bus. I couldn't let you know how much fun that song was. got to trust God if you're going to survive moments like that. Everybody's going through something. Every family's got a story. The only way you survive that is by being a part of a Christian family. We celebrated with Tyrone yesterday, him getting his pacemaker. And, and y'all shared how much the, the church family meant to you. Look at what we have to share with each other and look at what we have to offer to other people. Trusting God is the only way we, we, we really enjoy life no matter what comes our way. And we can share that with other people. And so the answer is to say, I will. God's Word always does demand a response from us. Like He'll say things like go. Um, and we can say I will or, or we cannot answer that question. But I want you to know that God does reward our trust and that God's Word always does demand a response. You know, when they, these guys in this passage, when Peter and James and John, uh, when they did what God told them to do, go out into the deep water, they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. I want to tell a quick story. Uh, The church that I come from, you know, there's a lot of folks that go there. So my point is not to say, hey, look at all these people that I go to church with. My point is to say, look at what God does when you kind of live uh, answer the call that uh, I've been describing for us here uh, we weren't that big I mean we had some folks here's our building it's a nice building and we were praying in this actual picture about this vision that we thought God had given us to become a disciple making church of really equipping ourselves to tell other people about Jesus one of our strategies became let's start let's plant a church on the other side of town Uh, which is really weird to take a bunch of your people and send them to the other side of town because it seems counterintuitive. Uh, You're thinking to yourself, um, if we send a bunch of people over there, we just got smaller, right? Um, But as you know, when you do something like that, everybody gets really evangelistic. Now, I'm not saying this is a strategy you guys need to do. I'm just sharing the story of doing something that you weren't sure that you knew how to do. An example of fishing out in the deep water, Uh, of doing something that you're unsure about and just watching to see what God does. So we sent about 150 people to the other side of town. Okay, we saw empty seats when we did that and we hated that. So it made us get really evangelistic. So folks in our church just started sharing Jesus with friends and neighbors. And so in 2017, we saw our church baptize more people than we'd ever baptized in the history of our church. The coolest part of that story, and I've shared it with Jimmy, is that our preacher didn't baptize anybody. Isn't that neat to think that we we had this really cool experience and all these people were getting baptized, but it wasn't the preacher doing it. It was every member of the church. And it was so much fun because people would call me all the time, say, hey, do you got a key to the building? We got a baptism tonight. You know, we got, we need to get into your building and things like that. So it was a real cool experience. So we planted this church, not knowing what we're doing. And I want you to know that that group right there, they, they set up folding chairs and stuff for 10 years in a, uh, it's called the Agri Park. It's this, this, this building that we were able to use. God bless us that we're able to use the same building for the whole 10 years. Uh, and now they have their own building, which is really neat. So we've got a church on the other side of town. And then we had so much fun with that. We planted another one. And then, um, We started something over at the local college at our church. We started doing a service on campus. Uh, Again, not knowing what we're doing, but seeing all these college kids start showing up. We had Spanish speakers, so we started a Spanish thing. Uh, We had Chinese speakers, so we started stuff for Chinese people to overcome our language barriers. And I just want you to know that God rewards Trust because we didn't know how to do any of those things that I just described. And so, this is the picture where we're all together. And again, I'm not trying to say, Hey, look at all these people. I'm trying to say, Look what God did. Because we grew by about half again as a result of all of that when we all got together in one place. And it was really neat. And it was us doing something that we didn't know how to do. So, I want to encourage you guys to just take a chance, do something that you don't think you know what you're doing, but just answer the call of God. So they signal their partners in the other boat. And so a lot of you guys I've met at a thing we call the New Day Conference where we get to share some of these things. That just happened a few weeks ago, and we'll get it on the schedule for next year as well. All right, here's the deal. So when Peter sees this, he's blown away by this big catch of fish. And I want you to know I'm blown away by what I've seen God do. Uh, as we went out into deep water. And so the temptation is to say, don't use me, I'm too sinful. Surely I don't get to be part of this story, which reminds me of Isaiah, who when he saw God seated on a throne, he says, woe to me for I am a sinful man and I'm, and the people that I'm surrounded with, we're all sinful. We don't deserve to get to be a part of God's story in the way that you're letting us do that. But what does God do? He redeems him. He, he touches his, his lip with the hot coals or whatever. In and, and us, Jesus Christ has redeemed every one of us. And so his response needs to be our response. Where you just say, here I am, send me. Because when we become aware of God's presence and what He's doing, we're reminded of just how awesome He is. And then we, we hear the invitation and we respond, here am I, send me. We get to be a part of what He's calling us to do. So the challenge is for all of us, individually and as a church, to do something so big, do something so crazy that only God could have done it. Don't be scared to dream big. We have this weird dream to plant 60,000 churches. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know if we'll ever plant 60,000 churches, but in the last 10 years, we've planted 1,800 churches. Um, I don't know how that happens unless God just takes the reins to do that. Um, And so I don't know what dream God's putting on your heart individually or as a church, but I will say, No matter what crazy number or whatever you come up with, and as we were reminded yesterday, it's not all about numbers. I'm just using these to illustrate a point. It's not all about numbers. It's about you becoming what God wants you to be individually and then witnessing to what God has done in your life. That's what the call is really all about. But do something so big that you don't get to take credit for it. God's the only one that could have done that. Well, he and all his companions were astonished. And so that gets us to the title of today's message as we wrap up here that um, I told my kids when they were little, you can't use the word amazing unless you're talking about the grace of Jesus or Spider-Man because I felt like the word was being overused quite a bit. Oh, that's just amazing. Oh, that that candy was so amazing. That Now, I tell my kids, if you want to be blown away, Uh, God's the only thing really that can really amaze us and astonish us. The really good stuff, it all comes from God. So then he said to Simon, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you, uh, from now on, you're going to fish for people. I'm sending you out on a mission. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. If you're like me, when you read these things, it's like... Man, that happened quick. In this case, in what, just 11 verses, they go from fishing to now all of a sudden they're leaving, other versions will say, they're leaving Dad, Zebedee, he's over here in a boat. James and John are just saying, hey, Dad, we're going to go do this other thing now. And it just seems like, how does it happen that fast? Well, it really is rooted. This is the Matthew version. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It really is rooted in this whole Hebrew education thing. And, And you can see at different ages the rabbis would ask you to do certain things. And if you were really good, they might train you to be a rabbi as well, a teacher as well. But if you didn't pass the test, they would say, well, go and pursue your father's trade. Well, we know that what happened with Peter, James, and John, particularly James and John, because they're in a boat with their dad. So at some point, a rabbi looked at them and said, you know what, nice try, but go and pursue your father's trade. But Jesus a rabbi said, come and follow me. Uh, they have been skipped over, but not by Jesus. Nobody gets skipped over by Jesus, right? I want you to know that God chose you. Everyone. He chose me. As sinful as I am, um, as sinful as any of us are, Jesus chooses us to do the thing that He's continuing to do in the world, which we said yesterday, He told his, his disciples and John, you guys are going to do greater things than even what you've seen me do, which is a makes your head explode to even think that that's even possible. That's what Jesus said would happen, and he's doing it. So Jesus chose you. I want you to know that. So what would it look like for you to leave everything and follow him? And this is our closing story. There's a fellow named Jason Brown. Maybe you know this story. This picture goes back a few years ago because he's actually wearing a St. Louis Rams uniform right there. He played uh, for the University of North Carolina. He was an offensive lineman. By the time he got to the pros, they made him a center and so I think he was drafted by the, um, the Ravens, and so he played his first contract. Uh, he, he became a center for the Ravens. Eventually he became the center for the Rams, and now it was time for him to sign his second contract. I can't remember the number, but the number, it, it was in the tens of millions of dollars, like $45 million or something like that, real big money for a center. He would have been the highest paid center at that time ever, uh, anybody who had ever played the position. They felt like God was calling him to do something. It felt like God was calling him to do something that he had no idea how to do. Jason Brown was somehow convicted, I need to be a farmer. Um, his wife was a dentist. He was a pro football player. He, he describes they were living in a mansion. They were a pretty fancy couple, right? But he feels like he's called to be a farmer, not just to grow things, but he wanted to grow things so that he could provide for people who didn't have as much as he did. So he learned how to farm by watching YouTube videos. And because he had made a little bit of money, he moved back to North Carolina. You know, if you are like me, I, I do everything based on a YouTube video. Yeah, I uh, it, I fixed our dryer the other day by watching a YouTube video. I didn't know I could fix a dryer, but it, turned out, it turns out I can. Anyway, he learned how to be a farmer by watching these videos. Now, remember, he's walked away from, let's call it $50 million dollars, because he hears the call of God to leave it all behind and, uh, and do this thing that he doesn't know how to do. So he calls it First Fruits Farms. And what happens is the community he's in, they know this story, and they know their jobs to come and help him do that first harvest. These kids are helping him harvest. You think they'll remember that for the rest of their life, that there was a man in their town They gave away the first fruits of everything he had to provide for them. So when these kids grow up, I bet they'll have the same attitude. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what this fellow Jason Brown is doing. He's uh, written a book, uh, cleverly titled Centered, as he was a center. I love the subtitle, Trading Your Plans for a Life That Matters. That's what he did. So the question for us this morning is, what would it look like for you to leave everything and follow Him. What does the mission of Jesus Christ look like in your church's life? And what does it look like in your life? I know that Jimmy, the shepherds, everybody here wants to encourage you in any way they possibly can. Do we stand and sing? Is that what we do? So we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.